What can I do? You ever felt that way? We see disease, chaos in society, or overwhelming poverty, or even simple evangelism. What do we do when things fall apart? In particular, what do we do when we feel like the outsider, the person who doesn't fit, powerless? Some people of Jeremiah's time face that same question, so it's just fascinating to me. One thing I like about Jeremiah is you get to the last part of the book, and there's all these personal vignettes. There's all these things that happen. And so look at chapter 38. We'll walk through uh, part of the chapter today and look at the story. So read with me verses 1 to 6 to get a feel for what's going on at this time. Shephatiah, son of Matan, Gedaliah, son of Pasher, Yehukal, uh, son of Shalemiah, and Pasher, son of Malkijah. Okay, he heard what Jeremiah was telling all the people, and here's what Jeremiah was saying. This is what the Lord says. Whoever stays in this city will die by the sword, famine, or plague, but whoever goes over to the Babylonians will live. He will escape with his life. He will live. And this is what the Lord said. says, this city will certainly be handed over to the army of the king of Babylon who will capture it. Verse 4, then the official said to the king, this man should be put to death. He's discouraging the soldiers who are left in the city as well as all the people by the things he is saying to them. This man is not seeking the good of these people, but their ruin. Well, he's in your hands, King Zedekiah answered. Uh, The king can do nothing to oppose you. So they took Jeremiah and put him in the cistern of Malchijah, the king's son, which was in the courtyard of the guard. They lowered Jeremiah by ropes into the cistern. It had no water in it, only mud, and Jeremiah sank down into the mud. Let's pray. So, Lord, we too are stuck in some mud of moral decay, disease, unrest, injustice. We're praying for deliverance in these days, return to you and awakening in our culture As we look at this scripture, we pray today that you would open our minds and hearts to understand what the people of that day felt, what they experienced, and then to connect it to our own day to understand how we should respond in these days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Give you a little historical context. It's at the time that this story occurs, it's 587 BC, and in less than a year, mighty King Nebuchadnezzar is going to destroy Jerusalem. He's already surrounded the city. They're under siege. And uh, the loyalists are angry at Jeremiah, as we read. Uh, And Jeremiah is saying something very unpopular. He's saying, this humbling situation is from God. Submit to the Babylonians. Well, the officials are listening to that and saying, this guy's disloyal. If he was a true prophet, he should have a word of faith, of hope, of victory. And then there's Zedekiah, third son of Josiah. Well, I, I can't do anything. Weak. Hey, these guys work for him. Right? Who's in charge around here? Apparently no one. <laughs> Is another response possible? Of course, the response of faith. So read verses 7, 8, and 9 from an unusual corner, an act of faith comes. Verse 7, but Ebed-Melech, a Cushite, an official in the royal palace, heard that they'd put Jeremiah into the cistern. 
While the king was sitting in the Benjamin gate, Ebed-Melech went out of the palace and said to him, My lord, the king, these men have acted wickedly in all they've done to Jeremiah the prophet. They've thrown him into a cistern where he will starve to death when there's no longer any bread in the city. Now, this is very interesting. Faith brings action, but what kind of action? Several actions that faith brings. The first action that faith brings is justice. Who's Ebed-Melech? And that might be his name. It might not, because Ebed-Melech just means servant of the king. So it may be a title. A Cushite means he's from Egypt, probably upper Egypt, what we'd call Ethiopia. And uh, Hebrew word Cyrus probably means this man was a eunuch, so a permanent servant. The NIV word official is accurate but less precise. But you can't help but notice the sharp contrast between Ebed-Melech and Zedekiah, this Ethiopian official. Zedekiah, I can do nothing, passive and helpless. Ebed-Melech does something that some Christians today can't do. He recognizes evil when he sees it. He understands he's not a fool. He says they're sticking him in the bottom. You know, a cistern is supposed to hold water. It's how they resisted siege when they were under siege. It was a store of water. So it's bad news that there's nothing but mud left, right? That means that in that cistern, the water's all gone. But Ebed-Melech recognizes this is just a plot to starve him to death. He can see evil. And he's courageous. He approaches the Benjamin Gate. Of course, they conducted business, judicial and otherwise, business contractions and uh, various kinds of decisions judicially at these gates, right? That's what they did. So the king is there. So Ebed-Melech boldly goes to him publicly and says, this is wrong. Isn't that ironic? Here's the king who can't stand up to his own officials, and here is an Ethiopian, different color skin. He's a eunuch, so he's not regarded as, uh, you know, in Israelite society, a man is supposed to have kids, right? Get married and have kids. And so there's a little bit of a lower status there. He's the outsider, and he's the one who says, hey, this is wrong. They're trying to starve him. You kind of wonder, why doesn't he keep his head down and avoid conflict? Because he sees evil. He sees injustice. It's not right what they're doing to Jeremiah. This is big. This is a problem. The problem is when evil is so normal, it becomes accepted even by believers. When what is horribly evil, we are so used to it that we no longer have a visceral response. It's hard, right? Some of you have never even been, you know, the whole time you've been alive, abortion has been legal in this nation. All of us are seeing a transformation of sexual ethics before our very eyes. Question for you. Can you still recognize evil? Do you see it? His action is a mark of genuine faith. James 2.14 says, What good is it, my brothers, 
If a man claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save him? So what about us? Genuine faith produces a passion for justice and righteousness. When I put my faith in Christ, I surrender to the rule of the kingdom of God. This means I trust in Christ, I persuade others to trust in Christ, and as I grow in the kingdom, I grow in personal righteousness step by step, and I seek to see the values of the kingdom of God affirmed. So we mentioned pro-life, sexual clarity, morality, issues of race, economic justice. So the key question for us, the first question we want to get a hold of this morning is, can I see evil? Can I recognize evil in my own life, my own society, or have I become blinded by what my culture accepts? I say this tenderly. It's hard. It's hard to stay awake when all are sleeping. It's hard to care when you try and try and try and there just seems no relief to the direction of evil. Can you still see it? First action of faith brings is justice. There's another action faith brings, that's mercy. Look at verse 10. I love this. Then the king commanded Ebed Melech the Cushite, take 30 men from here with you and lift Jeremiah the prophet out of the cistern before he dies. So I love it. The faith of Ebed Melech stimulates Zedekiah's courage, but he's not a fool. He says, take 30 men. He doesn't, you know, there, here's a skinny, starving prophet. He doesn't need 30 men to get him out of the well, right? He needs 29 guys to stand there with swords. Yeah, and so he's like, you know, okay, I think, you know what, you're right. We should do this. So <laughs> I'm going to give you 30 guys to take with you, make sure you come out of this alive, right? And then verse 11, so Abed-Melech took the men with him, went to a room under the treasury in the palace. He took some old rags and worn out clothes from there, and let them down with ropes to Jeremiah in the cistern. We'll talk about that. Abed-Melech the Cushite said to Jeremiah, put these old rags and worn out clothes under your arms to pad the ropes. Jeremiah did so, and they pulled him up with the rope and lifted him out of the cistern, and Jeremiah remained in the courtyard of the guard. Now, there's some compassion here. Abed-Melech is putting himself in Jeremiah's situation had no bread to eat. Now, you know, right now, I mean, I'm not in the, like the greatest shape, but if I'm down in a cistern and you throw me a rope, I just grab the rope, right? And then I kind of do the climbing thing. And I, I take my feet and just climb up, right? I don't need any rags. But Evan Melick's like, this guy's been starving down there for days, maybe weeks. He probably wasn't doing too well physically before that. He's like, this guy's just going to be like a limp rag. What are we going to do? We're going to make him comfortable. We're going to get him out of there without tearing his body apart. Compassion is the ability to imaginatively place yourself in a situation of another and think about their needs. It's not easy. It's just easier to be me. It's just easier to live with whatever challenges and privileges that I have. It's just easier to do that. But compassion says, no, 
I'm going to try to look through the eyes of a starving child. I'm going to try to look through the eyes. You know, here's one that struck me this week. I don't want to go into too much detail because it involves people. But uh, I was challenging, I was talking with my wife, and I was, there's someone I know, we'll just say this, you know. There's someone I know who, um, uh, you know, they have um, children, and, a, 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 and, and this is a very progressive person, couple of the kids are lesbians. One is transitioning to become another gender. And I started saying to my wife, and they, and they all feel very righteous about this, right? They're just, it's the right thing to do, right? Supporting our children. I, I was just saying, what is it going to take for them to really see? So I could just say, oh, that you know, oh, unrighteous person, you know, they're just, you know, be some kind of cultural worry. But I thought, Lord, what is it going to take for someone like that to see the truth and to recognize their need for Christ. See, we can get all hot and bothered about people we disagree with, but, but do our hearts break for the blindness that allows them to proceed in a direction that will damage lives, but they do so with a sense of righteousness? Do our hearts break for people very different from us and, and do we tremble for the danger of judgment that they're in? Do we have compassion for those who are far from us ethically and morally? Eben Malik had the ability to put himself imaginatively in the eyes of a guy from another culture and at probably at one point or another religion, though clearly Eben Malik believes, right? He has, he's been converted to Yahweh through the ministry of Jeremiah, powerfully, powerful, powerful. We need just justice, but we need mercy. We mentioned justice, right? But now we mention mercy. Here is something where we need as the body of Christ to walk so wisely. You know, is there a need for justice for African Americans in this nation? Of course. Last week, a prominent revolutionary leader called for all statues of Mary, Jesus, or any Christian saint to be torn down. What is that? That's anger. So you can have justice and anger, and it's understandable, although not correct, or you can have justice and mercy. Biblically, we're called to hold justice and mercy together. But because we are sinners, priority goes to mercy for the safety of our own souls. It's very easy to be, and I do it too as a, as a believer. I'm not pointing the finger, you know. It's very easy to get very righteous and angry. And so that's why James says, mercy triumphs over judgment. In fact, he says in chapter 2, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Maybe I'll read that one more time. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy, he says that, will be shown to anyone who's not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. 
So who do you see in need of mercy? Be courageous and act. The second action faith brings is mercy. But there's one final action that faith brings. It's deliverance. Now you have to turn to chapter 38. This is interesting. Chapters um, 37, 38, 39 are all in the last days of, of Jerusalem's life. But in chapter 39, 15 to 18, Abed-Melech is mentioned again. It says here, while Jeremiah had been confined in the courtyard of the guard, the word of the Lord came to him. Go and tell Abed-Melech, the Cushite, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. I am about to fulfill my words against this city through disaster, not prosperity. At that time, they will be fulfilled before your eyes, but I will rescue you on that day, declares the Lord. You will not be handed over to those you fear. I will save you. You will not fall by the sword, but will escape with your life because you trust in me, declares the Lord. Hallelujah. Fascinating. He will see the judgment fall on society. He's going to be surrounded by trouble, but he'll be saved from those he fears. He will have his life. He's not guaranteed to have his 401k when it's all over. Right? His action, though, is recognized as rooted in faith. He shows faith by his actions. So what we see here in Jeremiah, the people of God, the true disciples, are not spared living through the judgments that God sends on the society they live in. I will say that again. True disciples are not spared living through the judgments that God sends on the society they live in. But, and in fact, because we live in the midst of that, you might fear. Abed Melech was afraid. He says, you don't have, what you're fearing is not going to happen. In other words, Jeremiah is saying to us, God's saying to us, you see judgment happening around you. You might feel afraid. You're an ordinary human being. You're not being judged for that. He says, don't worry. But your fear is not going to happen. But that your actions are recognized as rooted in faith. So God will save us in disaster. Probably most of us who survive physically will all survive spiritually. The profound point is that he has eyes for evil and injustice. His merciful courage is recognized as genuine faith. Faith without works is dead. Works motivated by faith will be rewarded. God will reward your deeds done in faith. Prayer, evangelism, acts of mercy, caring for the poor, building relationships across boundaries to create reconciliation in the body of Christ. God will reward you. We'll say more about this when we get to Ephesians, but there's a vision. God has something he is doing and nothing is going to stop it. He is going to reconcile everything that is willing to be reconciled and, and quarantine the rest. It's called hell, okay? So it's like everything, everyone who's willing in all creation will be reconciled. And so when you, when you give to the poor, when you build a relationship and say, I'm not going to allow separation between subgroups and races in the body of Christ. When you do that, you are building toward eternity. When you lead people toward Jesus Christ, you're getting them in the 
team in the family to celebrate for eternity. All these things matter. God will reward you. You're going to find out that it is a reward in itself. There's this passage in Luke where it says, when you do this, it is your reward. You're just going to experience it right now, right? And so God will reward everything we do that is building his kingdom on this earth. Don't worry if it doesn't look great right away because God will reward you. It's worth it. It's powerful. So the final action God, faith brings is, is deliverance. It's worth it. So what does it say to us? Well, I wonder, what does it say to us? I know what it says to me. I'm not sure what it says to you. What evil really bothers you? What really bugs you and disturbs you in your spirit, keeps you awake at night? Maybe God's calling you to action. What needs do you see around you and it just leaves you thinking about it all day long? That may be God's call. Remember who Ebed-Melech was. Some of us feel unqualified. Some feel like outsiders and powerless. I remember it took God a long time. I remember, and this, I had a, a kind of an orphan spirit growing up spiritually. You know, my dad left home, that kind of thing. And so I always felt like on the outside, and I had no reason to. I mean, you know, I'm an old, white, educated white male, right? Theoretically, I'm a person of power in society. But you know what I mean? I always felt like an outsider. And it took years of ministry for the Lord to make me realize you are part of the team. Oh, you know, years in the, in the, in the Lord. But I understand, even though I have no, you know, excuse, I understand what it's like to feel like the outsider. Ebed-Melech was the outsider. Ebed-Melech didn't have power in a society that he lived in. But you know what? Sometimes that very awareness is God's tap on your shoulder because he delights in confounding the wise are those who appear to be foolish. Confound the strong with the apparently weak. It's the kingdom. <laughs> it's just how he does things. <laughs> the unlikely, you know, Bethlehem. Can anything good come in Bethlehem? You know, one of Jesus' own disciples asked that. <laughs> Can anything good come from Minneapolis? Yes, amen, by God's grace. <laughs> so I want to invite you to step out in faith and to receive God's reward. Stand with me, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you call us as the Evid Meleks, the servants of the king. And We may or may not have much social status or power, but you've called us to bring justice and mercy, little acts of kindness. And so, Father, I pray that you would be percolating in the hearts of people around this room, helping us to take the steps we need to take. 
So faith without works is dead. But may God bless now the works done in faith, bringing glory to his name. Amen.